Welcome to the Veterinary Career Services Podcast, a show for veterinarians, veterinary specialists, and hospital management. Join industry expert and president of VCS, Laura Anderson, as she interviews seasoned and accomplished veterinarians that share their paths and provide insights that can help professionals achieve their career goals. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Bethany Sabatino, who is currently an internist at Blue Pearl Gainesville, where she has been practicing since 2015. At the time, this hospital was affiliated veterinary specialist. Dr. Sabatino received her veterinary degree from Mississippi State University. She also completed a rotating small animal medicine and surgery internship at Cornell University before completing an internal medicine residency at the University of Tennessee. She then joined Carolina Veterinary Specialist in North Carolina before moving on to Affiliated Veterinary Specialist. So Bethany, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks for Uh, having me. Absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of exciting things happening in your world, and uh, it's going to be great to hear more. (laughs) Yes, it's been quite a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the big news is that you will be joining the faculty at North Carolina State University School of Veterinary Medicine. Yes, I'm very excited. I'll be starting there in October. Uh Uh-huh. This is a big shift, leaving private practice and going back to academia after, what, almost eight years. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I've wanted to be in academia since I graduated vet school in 2007. So it took me about 13 years to get there. Um, But uh, yeah, being uh, being in private practice and then trying to get back into academia uh, is is not easy. What are the challenges? Can just tell us a little bit about those? Um, Well, I think um, one of the challenges is just, you know, you kind of get out of touch with people that are in academia. And sometimes it it helps to have people that you know, in order to get back into academia. Um, So that's one uh, part of it. But I would say um, the other challenge is you kind of get into a swing of um, private practice lifestyle, (laughs) which is very different than academia. and so uh, I think that, you know, the 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 idea of kind of like being in charge of your day and um, not having the layers of um, academia, uh, academia where, you know, you've got a lot of different like a really big group of people that all answer like to another person and stuff like that. that, that it's a, a little bit different concept, I guess. Um, so that's one just internal challenge, but I would say externally too, it's just a little bit, it's probably not what most academic jobs are looking for. They want someone who, who has more experience, um, in academia, I would say. And, and so what is the big draw in academia for you? Oh, for me, um, the, the, the biggest draw for me is giving back, um, because I, I really want to have an impact on veterinary students and making their life easier for not making the same mistakes that I did, um, and making it fun to learn, (laughs) I think is the biggest, 
the biggest thing that I want to bring to the table. So it's the teaching you really missed. Definitely the teaching is the biggest thing that draws me to it. But the other component is the giving back to veterinary medicine as far as like the research and, you know, potentially making an impact on a bigger scale for, you know, certain treatments or diagnostics that um, impact, you know, animals all around the world, potentially. Of course, that's like a big dream, but I don't know that that will be what will happen for me. But I would love to have uh, contributing something big, you know, for research wise. I'm a firm believer in dreams come true. So (laughs) I'll stick by that. (laughs) So I guess um, a lot of residents that I talk with really do enjoy teaching and they feel that if they're in private practice and they're interns and residents, um, that, that they, they might, uh, their desire to teach would be fulfilled in that way. And I, I think I don't, Affiliated did have interns when you joined them. Were you a big part of that or, or, or no? Uh, yeah, when I started there, we, we didn't have interns. Actually, we just got interns and I was okay. uh, in, the, in charge of the program um, for the last couple of years. So I pretty much designed the program um, and executed it. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely... That actually was timing wise, one of the reasons why I decided to pursue a little bit more in depth uh, going back into academia was the interns kind of reminded me how much I love to teach and give back and all of that. So, um, but yes, you can definitely teach um, in specialty practice, but it's different and it doesn't have to be interns or residents either. It can be the staff, um, the other doctors, the referring doctors, the clients. So there's all different types of teaching, um, but it's different depending on who you're teaching. It it has a different, um, goal, you know, for that, what you're saying and how you're saying it, you know, Mm -hmm. for sure. How many interns were in your program? Um, so this year we have four interns last year, we had three. Um, so it's growing, but really I think it doesn't matter the number of interns, um, because probably the smaller group of interns, you know, does have more of a intimate kind of teaching setting. Um, I think the larger number of interns, they kind of feed on each other and they do ask more questions and it it is probably a little bit easier to teach them because they, they demand more as a group (laughs) rather than Uh um, like the smaller groups are a little bit more shy to um, ask for certain things, you know? Um, So when you were making this decision to go back, is it, did you reach out to any of your old mentors or was it, you just knew it was the right time or how was that decision-making process or what was that like? Well, I I think I've always kept in touch with my mentors and I think that's important um, for having that. I mean, I, I did it because I love my mentors like that. I would, I wanted to on a personal (laughs) level, but uh, 
But yeah, I think because if you don't have anyone in academia as a contact, um, it's probably more difficult to get your foot back in the door. Um, so I, I've always kept in touch with my mentors, but I, that hadn't really changed. Um, I mostly, um, I would say that what has changed is just my motivation and my, you know, drive to put myself out there a little bit more this, this year. Um, and I have throughout the years tried to keep, um, my CV kind of somewhat academically, uh, geared. Like I've, um, I've done stuff with the rating committee for the small animal, um, internal medicine, um, uh, exam. And I did that for like three years. And then I, I've written articles here and there. Um, not really made any studies that were like brand new studies, but mostly just writing papers that were uh, published. And then I have done some, uh, work at a couple of veterinary schools, just doing locum work, uh, for about two weeks at a time for each, each, uh, hospital, two different hospitals. So I, I think, uh, a, a lot of it was like an ongoing process, but then I became more and more convinced that that was, that I needed to make it happen, you know, instead of just planning for it at some point in the future. Right. And so that's a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm still like not a hundred percent in academia. This will, this position I'm going into is like, uh, hopefully going to transition to that. So it's, it's a fellowship for two years. And then after mm -hmm. that, I will be looking for a more permanent academic position. So you'll be teaching, doing research and on the floor as well. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I will be functioning as one of the faculty members in medicine on the clinical floor for half the time. And then the rest of the time I'll be teaching um, and doing research and taking classes and stuff like that. So trying to make sure I know how to do research is one of my main goals. What do you think you're going to miss about private practice? I'm going to miss my coworkers. I, I really care about them. And, um, it's, that's probably the biggest thing is missing my coworkers. But the second biggest thing will be doing my own ultrasounds, believe it or not. Um, because as I'm doing the ultrasound and like thinking through the blood work and the history, and sometimes it just like clicks in my head, like, Oh, this is what's wrong with this dog. <laughs> you know, like so now I'll have to change gears and lean on other people to um you know, to give me their interpretation of the diagnostics and then me piece all that together rather than doing a lot of the diagnostics. So I, I like doing diagnostics because it's kind of um I don't know. I it it, I think I might have a different interpretation knowing all the history, all the blood work than what a radiologist would have, for example. Right. And obviously how the, the pet presents clinically. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm like, well, this is like clinically insignificant. I'm not going to make this a big deal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like other times I'm like, well, no, this is more clinically significant now that I know that you know, the blood work shows signs of Addison's or whatever, you know, there's just 
a lot that goes into putting the whole patient, like figuring out what's happening with the patient when you're kind of like got your hand in part of the diagnostics too. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm know that I can, cause I have in the past, cause I've been in academia in the past, but as far as like when I was a resident and everything, um, I know that I can just like say, okay, you guys do all these tests and then I will, you know, collect the information, kind of put it together. But I think that it'll be a little bit of a change of, you know, change in way of thinking as far as going through it. Mm -hmm. Solving the puzzle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I think the other thing is interacting with the clients um, because in academia, the faculty level um, veterinarians don't usually have that many patients of their own. And they're not really like talking to the clients directly. Um, so that'll be a little bit different because I'm definitely, <laughs> that's one of the big things I do is talk to clients right now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were your biggest challenges in private practice? What will you not miss, shall we say? <laughs> um, hmm. I guess the biggest challenge that I've had is... Um, the financial part, probably, um, just, just having to go through with a client, why I want to do certain things. I, I always been very comfortable with that as far as like telling them what the reasons are, but I don't like, I don't like, um, nickeling and diming, you know, cause I just ultimately want to take care of the pet and I want it to be a fair, like a fair price for that, for the client, you know? Were you, a lot of hospitals are now asking the technicians to, to do the billing. Is are you were responsible for the billing? Um, yes. I mean, the staff will put it in and check it, but I ultimately have to approve it. And, um, I went over the estimates with the owners because, they always have questions like, well, why would I do, why would you want to do this or that? And so it's easier for me to explain it than the staff because sometimes it's not, it's just unique to that one patient. Like, okay, well, we need to do ultrasound of the belly and x-rays of the belly in this case, you know, for this reason, but maybe I understand that, but it wouldn't be a routine enough thing that they would be able to explain it every time. So I always felt more comfortable going over the estimates. Um, and I do think that I got clients to do most of what I wanted them to do, but I, I felt a little bit like, you know, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I understand. Like if they're like, well, how much is that? And I'm like giving them a number. I'm kind of like, okay, like I'll give you the number because like you need to know it to know if you'll do it or not, but I'd rather not have to waste energy on that. You know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned that you really would like to make an impact and help animals' lives. What area of research or areas of research are you really interested in? I'm very interested in um, a lot of different areas, unfortunately, because I think I will need to narrow that down um, to be realistic as far as getting stuff done. But I really like um, hematology and infectious disease and endocrine diseases. And then I say urinary diseases are kind of 
second or third on the list. So there's a lot of things that are like kind of close as far as if I had to boil it down to three, then I could probably do that, but I can't really boil it down to one. Mm-hmm. And you said it's 50 or 50% of your time is between research and teaching. Is that right? Yeah. So the, I'll be on clinics half the time. Right. And the other half I'll be doing everything else. Okay. Okay. And will you have on-call responsibilities? Yes. I don't know exactly how often, but I would say much less often than I do now. So well, that's <laughs> because a now it's a lot. Yeah. So that's the other, you said another struggles of private practice. I would say, yeah, the, it's remarkable how much time it takes uh, and how much of my life I was consumed by being a specialist. You know, it's not like a better uh, lifestyle necessarily than general practice. It's probably um, about the same or potentially more hours per week. And you're on call 50% now? Uh, yeah, I'm on call 50% of the time, but I also get called. Um, like if I'm not on call, I'll still get called from, um, you know, certain referring vets that have my phone number or um, sometimes clients email me directly and then they expect me to answer them within 24 hours. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm really off for the next five days, but I'll just answer you because it's easier. It's actually easier to just answer the email than it is to get called that so-and-so sent you an email. <laughs> Can you please email them back? <laughs> like, yes. And like, you know, sometimes I want to just give them a really short, like simple, yes, that sounds good. Or, oh, okay, great. Thanks for the update. But sometimes it's emails can be, you know, like a 30 minute process to answer them sometimes, you know? So these, the time adds up, you know, when in private practice, I don't know about the time in, in academia compared to private fra- practice, but I would imagine it, it depends on kind of what, what your job is as far as like how, how many support staff you have and like house officers that you're got underneath you and stuff like that. But I, I can say that private practice, specialty private practice is easily 60 hours minimum per week. And sometimes up to like 80 or 90. Like living that out, I didn't really question it, you know. Um, that wasn't really the reason I left private practice. Um, it's more about what I wanted to do with, you know, my career on a larger scale than me saying that I was working too many hours. Mm-hmm. How did you keep from burning out? I mean, that's a that's a heavy schedule. Did you have tricks or? I think I did burn out, but I've, I've, I'm used to that process of like, okay, now I've reached that point where I've gone too far and pushed myself too far and now I need to back up. So like, I think I'm just resilient in that way, but now I'm thinking smarter and going, okay, rather than expecting me to be pushed to the limit, why don't I just like you know, have that a couple notches down and basically live in the more comfortable (laughs) zone, you know? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I mean, that's how you continue to enjoy your profession is not burning out, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, I guess that's the bottom line is that, uh, you know, no matter what we do in veterinary medicine, um, it's a career that will take as much as we will give it. So, um, you know, rather than giving, 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 and never having an end to that, um, basically thinking through ahead of time what our goals are, you know, for our career and what we can give and still you know, keep, keep something to ourselves. I think, um, it's, it's difficult. It's, I mean, there's just no easy, uh, path for that. You know what I mean? No matter what we do, whether it's general practice or specialty, uh, academics or, you know, private, um, that same dynamic exists no matter what. So we have to, we have to um, be aware of what's happening on a bigger scale, I think. Do you have any advice or insights for younger specialists that one might, you know, are having a, a little struggle choosing between an academic path and a private practice um, track or, um, or those that are considering it? Um, do you, would you do anything different, Bethany? No, I don't think I would do anything different because I think everything I've done has helped me understand, you know, where, where other people are coming from. Um, so I did general practice before I became a specialist. And I think that helped me talk, talk to the referring vets and, you know, being on the pri- specialty private practice end of things. I know how it feels to send something to a vet school and like not get communicated with and stuff. And I don't want to make that mistake. So, um, I think I have a better perspective because of the different things that I've done. But as far as the, um, what kind of advice would I give to a resident who wasn't sure if they wanted to go into private practice or academics, um, I think the advice I would give is that they don't have to think of it as a one and done situation. They can make a choice and they can go down a path and then they can go down a different path later in their career. Um, And so it kind of decreases their, maybe decreases their stress over making a decision right then. Um, So I think making a decision that's probably best for you and your family um, at the time would be the the advice I would give them. I mean, and really, there's no wrong decision. I mean, you can always go back. And, and as you said, I mean, it seems that you were an, uh, an RDVM and you were a specialist referring to or private or to academics. So setting. So you gained and it'll all it will make you a better communicator, um, with, with everyone, you know, in academia and and that you're communicating with on the outside. So, um, yeah, there truly isn't a wrong decision. (laughs) Yeah. I do think having realistic expectations is a 
is probably the main thing. Um, just knowing that, unfortunately, it's not going to be top priority for uh, for the employer to set the employee up for like, you know, a great balanced life, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> so that yeah. if, if the, if the employee is like, Oh, you know, I just feel like my employer just used me for this and that. Well, uh, yeah, they're going to use you for as much as they can use you for, you know, that's like, that's to be expected. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I mean, that's not something we want for sure, but I think, we have to have our own voice, you know, for what we will do and what we expect, you know, for the job. So open communication, I think, is very important. Well, thank you, Bethany. It's been wonderful to talk with you. I'm really excited that a, a dream is coming true and you're going back to academia and NC State's wonderful. And you'll be closer to home or, or about the same distance from home. So, um Life is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> we'll keep in touch and um, hopefully we'll talk again when you're all settled in at NC State. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Bethany. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss an episode. For feedback, questions, discussion topic requests, or if there is anything we can do for you, feel free to contact us at laura at vetcareerservices.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast.